is the Amazon Planet Podcast, episode 40. I am your host, Joel Ambedon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast is professor, mathematics educator, author, and overall outstanding person, Dr. Amanda Jansen. Mandy is a professor in the School of Education at the University of Delaware and the author of Rough Draft Math, Revising to Learn. I first met Mandy, you know what, it was probably over 10 years ago. Uh, probably at a conference, and every time I interact with her, I improve as a teacher, a teacher educator, a researcher, and a person, which is exactly why I have wanted to have her on this podcast and share some of the awesomeness. I also wanted to share the ideas from her book, Rough Draft Math. We will talk about the book in depth during the podcast, but I remember when I first heard her talking about the ideas from the book at a conference. I remember just nodding my head a lot. I just, you know, like, hey, you know what? This is making sense. And and started thinking about how I would implement what I was learning to my own teaching. And then this past summer, uh, when we we're all at home, uh, we did a summer book club, a virtual summer book club with the uh, with Mandy uh, for the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. And we did a culminating podcast that I'll put a link to in the show notes. But anyway, uh, you know, those in further diving into those ideas and, you know, diving into the book. I mean, those ideas were further implanted in my brain. I just have been thinking about them a lot, been trying to put them in play in my class and just want to talk about the ideas further in our book and, and, and wanted to share that discussion with you all and thinking about how the ideas in rough draft math, her book might apply to teaching in general. So, she was willing, and what follows is our attempt to consider what rough draft thinking might offer to helping us teach better. But before I jump into the conversation, just a quick dis- disclaimer, in no way will we, be, will we, Mandy and I, be able to communicate the whole value of the book, and even if we did, it would be from our perspective. In other words, you know what's coming. If you like what you hear, go get the book for yourself. It'll be a good purchase, trust me. Links to purchase the book can be found at amadonplanet.com forward slash 40. Those are the show notes. Or seek it out wherever you buy high-quality books like this one. If possible, try to support your local bookseller like Square Books here in Oxford, Mississippi. We're just going to get into it. Here's a conversation with Dr. Amanda Jansen. Mandy, thank you so much for uh, willing to join me on the Amadon Planet podcast. It's so exciting. I, do, I wanted to jump right in as soon as we, uh, we signed on here. But thank you. Hey, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here. I always like talking with you, Joel, and I like your podcast. It's an honor to be a part of it. Yeah, we had a, a, a lot of time to talk to each other this summer. We uh, talked about your book, uh, Rough Draft Math, Revising to Learn. We did a, a book club uh, throughout the, what was it, June? I think it was June. Right. Yeah. We tried Instagram Live. It was fun. Yeah, that's my first Instagram Live. Learned some lessons. It had some, I guess, rough draft uh, experiences using Instagram Live, like, oh, it only is for a certain amount of time. And oh, shoot, I, should, I need to start that feed again. Oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, all sorts of lessons learned. But thank you so much for being uh, willing to come on because I've been want, I've ever since reading the book and talking to you this summer, it just been, you know, echoes of it have been going on in my head and thinking about this idea about rough draft thinking, rough draft math specifically with the book, but this idea of rough draft thinking and wanting to share it with folks that, you know, have similar intentions of this podcast, which is thinking about how to teach better. And so asked you and you're willing to more than willing to share your time, which is awesome. And, uh, and just, yeah, just wanted to get into it and talking about the book, but I don't know, could you just, but take a second um, before we get too far into it, I get a little excited. Um, just maybe share a little background, introduce yourself to the podcast listeners who might not be familiar with the amazing Mandy Jansen. <laughs> my pleasure to say hi. So my name is Mandy and I am a professor in the mathematics education program area in the School of Education at the University of Delaware. And before I was a professor, I was a middle school teacher. I taught junior high math in Arizona and then I lived in Michigan for five years where I went to grad school at Michigan State. But I've worked in Delaware since 2004. And uh, I really enjoy teaching future teachers, teaching um, about, about math pedagogy, about the math that we need to understand to be a better teacher. And then um, learning alongside teachers when I'm in a role of conducting professional development, I really feel like it's mutual learning, um, learning together with practicing teachers. So this is a really exciting career because we're all growing and improving together. 
Yeah, and I, there was never more evidence than this past spring when everyone was switching uh, to online instruction and having to rethink like, what, do, what, do, how are we doing this? And you know, you have a big presence on social media and like, you know, coming up with, hey, has anyone thought about this? Or here's an idea I thought, and just that sh mutual sharing and learning from each other. It was just, I don't know, it was it, it was beautiful to to see because you know <laughs> we were all trying to figure answers out, right? You know, all at the right. same time. Right. Everyone was so open about different strategies that they were trying and. Um, it felt like we were a national learning community in a way with all the webinars, all the um, podcasts, all the reflections on blogs and Twitter. And so I think that because of the way our nation as math educators, we reflect together, um, practicing teachers, professors, the students ended up having a better experience because of that. So I'm really thankful that folks network and share their ideas. Yeah. And we'll have, um, we'll put some links to those uh, podcasts from the Teaching Math Teaching Podcasts and anything else that we mentioned here today on the show notes, uh, which will be at, this will be episode 40, which. Oh, congrats. Uh, there we go. Yeah. I'm approaching my age eventually. So we're getting, <laughs> so, um, but I, you know, really want to talk about uh, the book and, and maybe even just a little bit of background of how the, how did the book come to be? So thanks for asking. A few years ago, I think it was spring 2016, I had the opportunity to conduct a teacher study group with secondary math teachers in Delaware. We have a great organization called the Delaware Mathematics Coalition that provides um, professional development throughout the state. And this group was thinking together about how to improve their classroom discourse. And that's something I also care about and I'm trying to improve. So I was um, invited and included to do a study group with teachers. And um, I brought to them some chapters from a book called Exploring Talk in School, Exploring Talk in School. And it was dedicated to the work of Doug Barnes. One of the editors is Neil Mercer. So these are folks who've been really invested in improving classroom discourse across the curriculum. And we read a few chapters and the concept anchoring the thinking was exploratory talk. So this notion that we want conversations to be a place where we're all continuing to explore and keep learning through talking in contrast to when students are called on to share their thinking, they're often feeling like a performance. I have to perform how smart I am. I have to show everyone if I'm right or not. But as teachers, we don't want that. We want um, people to feel like their thinking is accepted in any form because we're all just going to keep learning. When someone shares something, it's something that we can think about and learn from, and we can all, our ideas are going to keep growing. So we were learning about and thinking about this concept of exploratory talk. And the teachers in the study group decided that they'd rather call it something else. Hmm. And I think Doug Barnes has also used this term, rough draft talk. So any talk that we're sharing is in a draft state and we can share ideas that are initial ideas or emerging ideas, or even if our ideas are far along, we could still treat them as a draft and that we keep improving our thinking through dialogue and discourse. And so they thought the label of rough draft talk made sense to students because, you know, where I was with middle school and high school teachers and students have had experience in language arts, taking a draft and revising it. So what if we treated our talk like a rough draft? So it came out of reading those chapters and then teachers coming up with what this might look like in a math classroom, what they might try, how they might think about rough drafts and they, generated a classroom video and brought the video to the study group and everybody's video was kind of different because we didn't really know what rough draft could be. And so then as a group, we expanded the concept of what rough drafts could be and how they could be used in a math class for different reasons because everyone had great ideas. And so originally I wrote an article with three of the teachers in the study group that is in math teaching in the middle school. And it's, it's, I think it's called Rough Draft Talk. And that was, that came out at the end of 2016, the beginning of 2017. And I thought, okay, we're done. We wrote an article. We preserved our work from the study group. We're good. Uh -huh. But um, I was invited to give a series of talks about this idea. And it seemed to be a very generative idea for folks. And um, just shout out to Tracy Zager at Stenhouse um, I wrote a book proposal to Stenhouse and she was the editor for that. And she taught me so much just about how to improve as a writer with my voice. And um, 
it just there was more to say. And I didn't really realize that there was more to say, but there was more to say because teachers kept working with the ideas and teachers would share with me, here's what I tried, here's what works for me. And my own knowledge about this concept kept growing and I felt like, well, I wanna document all this amazing work that teachers are doing. So it's because the idea was generative for teachers and they shared it with me. So I wanted to share it with other people. What's cool is like this idea of rough draft thinking and you're sharing the rough drafts of it as it goes along. And like, and even thinking, I mean, even like you said, like even probably even thinking at the point in time, the article's done, sent in final edits, whatever, like put a bow on it. That's finished thinking. And it's like, no, no, no. People are saying like, no, I'm still thinking about it. And they, and then bringing you along with it. And like, yeah, there's more to say here. That's, it's kind of amazing. It's like this uh, sort of meta thing going on with the yeah, rough, draft I, thinking, rough draft thinking. <laughs> the idea of generative concepts. What's a generative concept for us in teaching? And and by that, I mean something that as we keep thinking about it, our ideas will keep growing and expanding. And this concept, just thinking about what are rough drafts, what is the role of rough draft in a math classroom has been generative for me and, and, and other people. So, right, it keeps growing and... Um, I'm excited and I really view this book as a, just a dedication to teachers that are doing amazing work with students and trying to amplify everything I've learned from the opportunity to talk with so many teachers. Yeah. And, you know, I guess that, you know, we're going to get into our learnings in just a second, but I guess maybe that is a learning too, is whenever I think like I've, that there is a bow on this thing. It, like, no, like it's sort of, you know, one of the things they share when you start the a doctoral program is like, you figure out what you, what you haven't figured out, you know, and you keep, you keep working on things and keep moving forward with it. Even, even if you think like, oh, I've kind of got a handle on it. Well, there's, there's more handles <laughs> coming your right. way. Right. It's almost like, I've always thought that it's kind of ironic to have a final draft book about rough drafts in math class. <laughs> almost like, I wish I could have written this like a Wikipedia <laughs> type of entry, like a wiki that we keep updating. But um, yeah, because my ideas still keep growing by the interactions with others that I've had. Well, I'm sure, uh, you know, we could put a call out to Steinhaus. I'm sure a, a second edition would, <laughs> and, and, and future editions would be uh, very much welcome. So, but let's, let's talk a little bit. So, you know, we think about this podcast as like teaching in general and, and, you know, I, I get into wanting to talk about math ed all the time too, but you know, thinking like, what, what can we, what can teachers and in, in thinking about teaching from all different aspects, even from uh, a parenting aspect or whatever, but even thinking about what, what can we learn from this book of rough draft math revising to learn? What, what are some high five? What are, and we get into the categories, our high five of what are two to three, what are some learnings that we can have that we can apply to teaching in general? And we can bounce back and forth. If you want to go first, I can go first. I got a few that, uh, again, it was fun to start thinking about this book again. So uh, I definitely have three things I'd like to say, but I'm also interested in your ideas because I learned from every time I talk with you. Um, I love this question. I think that one of the ideas is how, so idea one is around the culture of any classroom. Students' initial ideas, what they have to say makes sense to them. Mm. Assume that students' ideas make sense to them, that everyone in the room, when they share, we have something to learn from anyone's thinking at any stage. Um, their ideas are going to have strengths no matter what, even if they might not be what we would say or how we would say it, or even if you see ways that their thinking can be improved, how do we orient ourselves to hear the strengths in what someone has to share? Because those ideas make sense to them right now. So that's, that's the first thing that I think about a lot. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I just kept uh, flashing into some, you know, conversations I've had with my, uh, my youngest, who's a, uh, eight right now and just having these like I mean he he loves a debate and that that goes for all of my kids they're they're very good at debating we'll say just debating not arguing but like you know the the positions he said I might think they're ridiculous but they make sense to him like they like and and to like you know to honor them and treat them like hey okay well you've made sense of this and now let's here's my sense making of it maybe we can meet in the middle on this but but that idea uh whatever kids are bringing in into a situation like there's they've come up with some way to move forward and that's how do we honor that? That's, that's awesome. I mean, and that, I mean, it, I'll, I'm going to jump right into one of mine because I think it, it goes right into that and maybe connects to something else is treating learners or students 
whoever we're teaching with humanity, right? Mm. And that, uh, and and that we're all partners in the same community of practice. I mean, just even going back to the parenting example, like, you know, no one, I didn't have to go to a class or anything about parenting and then thinking like, we're all in this together. <laughs> we're all figuring this out. Like the first kid, like, I'm sorry, you you got some things that are a little bit more. <laughs> and, and then even the last one, and you're like, oh, I'm still not quite there yet, but we're all, we're all in it together. And even, a, you know, as a, as a math teacher and thinking about my first classroom and thinking like, you know, we were figuring things out together. Like I'm figuring out what doesn't work and does work or anything like that. And so picturing ourselves not as an I know. Did you ever read the book, uh, The Courage to Teach by Parker Palmer? Yes. So, you know, when he, t- he has this figure of like the, the um, of teaching as the dominant form of truth telling and truth knowing, like the teacher pushes down learning to students who are all sitting there as like receivers, like receptacles, like, um, you know, just empty vessels that we're pouring into. But then he talks about this, you know, rather than that, like a, uh, a community that's together where we're all different learners when even the teacher is just facilitating interactions amongst us all so that we can all learn and get better. And that's, it feels like rough draft thinking is like this idea where, Hey, we're, we're, I might have just a little bit more sophisticated thinking about this as the, maybe the teacher, but I have to be open that I might, I, I might not. And like, I have to, or I switch and become the the learner and you're the teacher. And like, it's this all sort of community together. And so I think this, this, you know, I, way of thinking is like this idea of bringing humanity and seeing each other as partners in this idea of like, how do we get better at math or whatever the subject is? I really appreciate that you're saying these things because that is making something explicit that I truly value. Everybody that we're in a room with has a different experience from the other person in the room, right? Mm-hmm. And so that means we have something to learn from their experience and that's one of the things that's so amazing about teaching is that we are learning all of the time. So sure, maybe I've taught this math problem or this math lesson like 10 years in a row, yeah. but a student is going to come up with a way of representing the situation that I hadn't seen before, or someone is going to make a connection between two strategies that I hadn't heard of before. So I get the benefit of hearing the richness of the connections that students are making. And I, I want to help them see how, if you were not in this room, we would be missing out on an opportunity to learn something. Yeah. Every single person in the room. Yeah, so but, yes, but, we're learning in community together all of the time. Yeah. And like, even just like, what is that even to think like, you know, I have class this week and when attend, you know, take an attendance, like, Oh, someone's missing. Oh, the environment, our community just, got, just changed because you weren't right. here. Like where you were missed, right. It wasn't just, Oh, but less questions from the, no, 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 this is, it's, it's we're If we're together, if we're truly in partnership, that's a, a chunk of us is gone, right. Because you are gone. And so, yeah. And so I think that this rough draft space, if we orient ourselves to we're a learning community and we need each other's ways of seeing the situation to learn, I think rough drafts are, a nice way to bring that out, but it's not the only thing, right? So rough draft thinking happening in this larger context mm-hmm. of what is the kind of learning community we want to foster and create. Awesome. All right. What, what's another so one you got? Maybe I can go. With another yeah, one. Yeah. So I, I want to think about what we think learning is, right? Mm. And so for me, um, learning is a process of gradually evolving our ideas over time. And it's not about you're right and you're wrong. And we're trying to get more right. Any idea that we have, even if it's pretty close to closely mirrored to what's happening in the discipline, we can still keep revising it, keep improving it. Maybe, maybe it's correct, but maybe our explanation could be um, more, Mm. more reflective of vocabulary in the discipline. Maybe it could be more elegant. Maybe it could be more precise. Maybe we could use a different representation so it could communicate more clearly. Um, I think it can always evolve. And so I think it's helpful to take something we've worked on at any stage, then look at it again. And how can we take that work and revise it? And then reflecting back, okay, how did my thinking change? Did my thinking change between this point and now? And then what led to exchange? Being metacognitive about that, because There's something about understanding that once we understand something, we feel like we must have always known this. And so comparing what you think now to what you think before to really honor that growth is constantly taking place. 
So um, this could be within the same class. Take something from the beginning of class, look at it at the end of class. Do you think differently now? It could be across a week or a unit. It could be take an, an exam and relook at it. Um, but just asking people to re revisit what you thought about before to recognize the growth because our thinking is always, always evolving. Mm, yeah. Well, I, I want to point right to the book at this time because the tables in here and like all the accumulated resources within here um, are awesome. But like on page 121 is one of the tables I just absolutely love where it's talking about how you can go about revising our your mathematical thinking, like all the different ways and some of the ways that you just mentioned in like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 11 different ways. I'm sure there's more too, but like those are, I mean, like, just even there, thinking a lot about of them are ways to revise something that's already correct. Even mm -hmm. like what yes. I was saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, I was in computer science and like, you know, we had a task that you had to make a program, you know, the old Apple two E's, you turn it on without a disc and, you know, doing all that commands, but you know, you'd write a program and it would work. And like, and then the teacher's like, well, make it better. I'm like, yeah, what? it's not it's necessarily like, elegant code, right? Yeah, like yeah. It's functional code. Right. <laughs> you know, I could, I could make a, you know, my little closet office here was just a piece of plywood on, on a platform for a second. And then I was like, okay, well, I can make it better. I could get my. That's true. I've seen now. the yeah. evolution of your recording <laughs> right. space and classroom. Yeah. yeah make it more. Yeah. Keep, keep, let's keep revising. So yeah. And like thinking about just because it's right. Doesn't mean it's as good as it could be. And that doesn't mean that we as a community can't keep adding to it to help it uh, evolve and get better. And being aware of and honoring that growth. Um, so when we stop and reflect about how our thinking has changed and grown and, and why, what affected that change, it's another place where we can honor the learning community. Oh, because Joel made this connection, I wouldn't have understood this idea. And, and sharing that with each other, um, my thinking grew because of what you taught me and or how you asked this question or what you noticed. And people tend to be really humbled by that, like, wow, I didn't know. I could actually help you learn something. Mm. And um, I think that's another part of building that learning community is honoring one another of how we've learned and what we've learned from each other. Well, and um, just reflecting a little bit, like even thinking about these things. And so, our, it, well, we can get into this a little bit later because that connects to something I wanted to talk about um, from the last chapter. Um, but the idea of like political views, right. And thinking about how our current stance and like, if more people thought like, you know, this is my current thinking, it's not necessarily, you know, I, I haven't put a bow on this, but here's my current understanding about and, and treating it as it's going to evolve. It should change. It should keep going as I, my experiences in the world and my interactions with people and my experiences on what I see and hear and learn and, and who I talk with and who my neighbors are, are evolving and I, I think that makes a lot of sense because some people think that it's valuable to um, remain consistent in your views over time that's a sign of conviction or mm -hmm. being steadfast in your beliefs whereas other people think it's more noble to continually evolve your thinking in the face of new evidence some people have called that waffling others have called it learning and growing and so <laughs> yeah. right mm -hmm. so I'm obviously predisposed to prefer the second growing and changing evolving in the face of evidence but there are there are other ways some people think you know that changing is waffling and that's a sign of weakness and I don't think so at all I think it's a sign of humility that we and I really um, constantly am striving for intellectual humil humility balanced with intellectual courage influenced by Magdalene Lampert in that way Right. And so that humility to keep growing and changing, I think you're right. There's connections to how we orient ourselves to political views and how we interact with each other about our beliefs. Yeah. And I've shared this a few times, um, but it, it was one of the most powerful moments I had in my teaching was, you know, solving a like linear equation. And I was first year teacher and, you know, I was, telling is teaching, right? I was, I was up at that time, I was showing on the board how to do something. And someone's like, well, could you use tables? And I don't know why, because I it wouldn't be like, you know, no, this is how you how we do it. And like, for some, I don't know, I, I just had a moment of clarity. And I said, 
tables. I, how would you use tables? And like, I sat down and the kid got up and showed how they use a table. They found the, put up the two plots in the table or two points, the coordinates in the table. They figured out what the slope was. They backed that slope back up to zero. And then they said, Oh, here's my slope. Here's my y-intercept. Here's it is in this form. And there you go. And I was just like, my jaw was on the, and it was just like one of those moments where, you know, if, if I would, I could have very easily just said, no, this is how you do it. And this is how I want you to do it. You will regurgitate this. And, but they, you know, showed me and like, oh, wow, there's a bunch of different ways we could do it. And then, you, you know, you keep learning and growing and seeing other ways that do things. But it's just one of those like mile marks in my life where I was like, if this so much could have been lost, if I just would have stopped, like, oh, that kid's thinking wasn't valued. And it's like, there's only one way to do it. And like all this sort of stuff. And it's versus let's open things up and, and, do what we said before, like treat, uh, treat each other with humanity. And we're all partners in this thing and keep growing and learning from each other. I love your story because I think it also makes another value of mine more explicit, which is as a teacher, I'd like to release the authority, right. And, and, um, invite students to be intellectual authorities in the room as well, because they already are authorities of their own thinking. So why not give them authority in the classroom community, right? I don't need to be the arbiter of knowledge. My knowledge is limited. Uh, my knowledge will grow if I share that authority um, on purpose and intentionally. Mm -hmm. So you gave a great example of how our learning keeps growing if we share that authority with the group. Yeah. Like, you know, I didn't empower that student. I was just, it was whether, you know, it's like, did I steal the power away from that student really or let yeah. them do it? Um, yeah. And then I guess that, that brings me back to one that I wanted to share. And this is, I think it was highlighted in the beginning with, uh, you have uh, Robert uh, Barry uh, opened up the book and I believe he talked about the idea of participation over performance. And it's just overall in the book, that's what you see is like, we want participation. We want versus just seeing like perform everything is a performance like every time I speak in the class or every time I do something it needs to be correct or you know I can't I can't sh like you said show weakness and things like that versus no let's let's put our ideas out there and see what what what's happening and even the the ones where you know it might not be as correct in quotations as as it could be we're still going to learn something from it and so I don't know that yeah. was can we shift classroom dialogue from being a space where we're constantly evaluating each other mm. to instead being a space where we're constantly trying to understand each other. Um, evaluation is often how we feel when we're talking about our ideas in front of other people in a group setting. So um, participation to me aligns with trying to understand one another. I, I think it's uh, more important to understand each other than to try to change each other. Mm. But as we try to understand someone else, we'll often change ourselves. Yeah, just have practice that or flex that empathy muscle and figure out like why why you had that perception or why the that perception is had and you and you can definitely learn something from those sorts of things. And you don't do yeah. that unless you're encouraging people to put things out into the world. Yeah. Otherwise you wouldn't have access to their thinking so you could learn from it. So I thank you for bringing that up. I think my third learning is around um, ideas informed by complex instruction and highlighting the competence in the people in the room. Mm. So um, if we think that we can learn from everyone's ideas at any stage or their draft ideas, then more people can be recognized for their smartness. So I can find something to learn from anything that anyone shares. So we can position that student of having something to offer. Um, more people will get to experience that people see them as, as competent, as smart in a classroom. And I've had experiences um, in PE and physical education yeah. where I didn't want to go to PE because it was just another day where I would be last in the 50 yard dash and not be able to hit the volleyball over the internet. I'm not internet, not hit the volleyball <laughs> over the net <laughs> and right. And making mistakes yeah, like this. That's right. And um, it was just a place where I would just constantly feel not good enough. And what would it mean to teach math class where kids didn't feel like that? Just mm. another day where I don't know how to do the work. Could it be a day where um, I'm going to share what makes sense to me right now? And then people would 
find something of value in what I have to say, mm-hmm. more students could to could experience being valued and um, as opposed to experience feeling kind of embarrassed or unsure. And that gets back to seeing the humanity in people that you've been talking about. Yeah. Well, and and that I, I think that connects right with you know I had this idea or the that last chapter with think about rehumanizing your content, like and it ties into that other learning about treating others as as students with humanity. But you you have a, another table in the back when you're talking about you know dehumanized mathematics versus rehumanizing mathematics and just thinking about like what does it look like to do that uh, to humanize your content. I don't know. Can you talk a little bit about that chapter because I think that. That the evolution of that chapter was kind of interesting. Um, when so, about this summer, chapter five in the book, I was trying to think about what would it look like if I shared a bit as an author about how my thinking has been evolving as I write. And a lot of people write about humanize the math classroom, but what does that mean? And so, mm-hmm. I read a number of different pieces where people use this term humanize, and throughout the chapter. I work on evolving a definition of humanizing or rehumanizing the math classroom. Um, Rochelle Gutierrez is one of the folks I read about um, her work, Andrew Brantlinger, others. And so I would bring in someone's definition, but then I would go to a teacher in Delaware who I think does amazing work to help their high school students feel like they are valued as people. So I I looked at the work of three different teachers. And so between the writings about humanizing the math classroom and the work of these teachers, I would continually revise my definition throughout the chapter. So um, Shelly Wong in Middletown, Delaware, um, writing about telling her students that your ideas are the currency of this classroom. Mm -hmm. And her students would say things like, well, you make me feel like a somebody in this room and and how she was constantly letting students revise their exams and and different things where they felt like their ideas matter. She gets genuinely excited about people's thinking and the students actually believe (laughs) that the teacher, um, that Ms. Wong really does care about what they have to say. And, And so learning from the teachers about how they create this humanized space and then learning from how other people thought about this idea came more to life for me and then just showing about how our ideas will just keep evolving. So I got to a point by the end of the chapter where I had a pretty long definition. I think my idea would keep evolving by making that more concise, but this space where just trying to listen to everyone and make sure everyone feels like they have a voice and that they believe that their voice matters takes, you know, a lot of time and genuine consideration. It kind of is like this metaphor. I mean, like you talked about the story of that evolving definition. I mean, it represents what learning is, is, this, you know, this common or this evolution of thinking where it's these interactions with people, things, ideas um, that is, accumulates within so that here's what I know, here's what I know about this idea. And it's like, it's like this great, you know, you know, demonstration of that is, is that chapter. And it's, I, I just really appreciate you put it in. Um, Cause. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, I mean, I've, I think about it from my teachers that I deal with here at the university of Mississippi and we're, we want them to take a stand on something and we want them to have like a philosophy statement, a pocket sized philosophy statement that they carry with them. And to think of it as this, not as something, and too often I, you know, I, I do, I don't do as great a job as I can to say like, hey, this is, this is your first shot. It's like the, you know, the first pair of pants you put on at the store that they don't fit great, but that, you know, they might do the job. But like, as you learn more and more, you learn like what, what goes into a great pair of pants. And this is an awesome metaphor, but, <laughs> but, uh, but the fact that like put some ideas out there and see how it's, see how it feels. You know, here's a statement of what I stand for in the classroom and let's evolve it and and keep moving from there where your actions and the statement keep bouncing back and forth. And I think you captured that well in that chapter and showing how these interactions like fed into this evolution. So I, I, yeah, thanks. I think our philosophies of teaching and our ways of thinking about teaching are living. These can be living documents. And so I think that's right. If we write something down, we understand ourselves better. 
Mm-hmm. And so then when we make our thinking an object by saying it out loud or writing it down, then you can step back and say, wait, is this really what I think? And then go have some other experiences and reflect on those experiences and then go back and look at what you wrote or listen to how you spoke about it. And, and now do you still think the same or uh, maybe you do think pretty similarly, but you have a little more to add or slightly different way to say it because you learned something from another experience you've had. Yeah. And to, and to, to not, lo- and what I think too, is not to lose those previous iterations. Cause you get to, it's like this document that reflects your, uh, reflects your thinking about teaching and how you've grown. And, and like, you can probably point to instances and people and conversations that you've had that have led to that evolution. I think so. All right. So let's go into, uh, now, you know, so what would you have done differently or what have you done differently? Having written this book. I think one of the things that's been hard for me when people ask me questions about this book is I don't really say anything about how to help someone buy into any of this if they don't already agree. (laughs) (laughs) So people say to me, well, how do I, how do I convince somebody else to want to create a classroom like this? And I don't really know. And Mm. I would like to, you know, learn how to do that. So I would say, um, that's where my trajectory would be headed is how to, how to work with people that are trying to grow into um, transferring our authority and that kind of thing. But I would say on a personal level, one thing I learned, um, the last chapter in the book is a lot about what I learned about when I was trying to put this into practice myself, is that um, some effort is better than no effort. Mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, okay, I wrote this whole book. Now I'm going to teach a math class for teachers this semester. And um, I'll, I'll be able to put everything that I learned into practice this semester because I've learned so much. And if anyone should be able to do all of this stuff, maybe it could be me. And, you know, no, you can't do <laughs> everything. And um, I did a few things and there was a bunch that I didn't do of all the good ideas I learned about. And I felt really bad about that. Like, wow, if I can't even do all of these things in the context of one course who can, and I felt like a failure and maybe I was a fraud and it was all a mess. But then I gathered data from my students at the beginning and end of the semester about their experience in the class. And then during the semester too, just different journal entries students wrote or, or different reflections. And I, I realized, even though I didn't do all the things, I did some of the things and the students were impacted by that saying things like, wow, I really felt like in this class I could share my ideas and it made a difference. And, you know, Mandy really promoted this notion of drafts and it made me think about the power of drafts in math classrooms because I teach future teachers. And, and I realized it's, this is putting rough drafts into practice. Isn't about like trying to be perfect, trying to do all the things on the list in the book. It's the spirit of it the spirit of promoting that um, our ideas can keep growing and changing, the spirit of promoting that we really value your thinking right now. And it doesn't really matter if I do a revision activity every day, or it doesn't really matter if I make sure that um, I'm following certain steps. What matters is that spirit that we're bringing to our interactions and you can interact that, enact that spirit in a lot of different ways. And that actually ended up being very liberating for me. And I was glad to have that humility moment because I had a great learning experience from that. And, and then being able to share that humility moment with others too. Like, Hey, I, I understand this is tough. I tried it myself. <laughs> you know, like, Hey, there, here we go. Learn from me. Yeah. Um, because I feel like I would go to professional development when I was teaching and I would leave thinking like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to do all of that? That all sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. I can't like, I can't do it all. Mm-hmm. And, and to take away that, trying some of this is way better than not trying anything. And it can make a big difference if you do something mm-hmm. that makes liberated. I can fit this into what I'm already doing. And by this, I mean, maybe explicitly talk to people about how learning takes place or invite them to reflect on how their thinking changed or orient myself to someone's thinking. So they know that their strengths matter. Like anything we try is going to be better than not trying. It, it just was very liberating to me. Yeah. I was, I was trying to, you know, as you're saying that I was, I've got some books up here that I've done on previous podcasts. One of them is atomic habits. And one thing that was from that book was 
if I have a habit, like what's the two minute version of it? What's the the smallest version of it that gets me to move towards something? I really like that. So like, you know, I want to read every day. So the smallest version of that is I'm going to open the book and read a sentence at least, uh, you, yes. know, you know, and so I'm probably going to do more than that. But if I just get in the habit of opening the book and knowing that at this time, I'm going to open the book, I'm going to keep moving along or something like that versus, you know, maybe someone for this is maybe even just to have in a sentence that I'm going to say at the beginning of class, like your thinking is honored. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. And that's my approach. I'm still learning that. So you can call me on that, but this is what we're going to do in our class. This is not about just only the right answers are here. This is about, we need to participate and maybe that's it. And then, but by keep saying that eventually, you know, maybe it sinks in for you maybe it sinks in for the students and then you keep moving forward or, or something, whatever's coming up with that smallest version of whatever it is to, that's a step forward uh, towards putting this into play in your classroom. And I think one more thing that I do differently now after having written the book, and I talk about this a little bit at the end of chapter six, is that I now track participation in my class, mm. not in a way to grade participation, but for me to um, learn about how I'm positioning students. So I have a clipboard with my students' names. And as I call on people, I kind of have a coding system of who's asking a question, who I'm strategically selecting to share, and who I'm asking to share and I position them as having a draft versus who I'm asking to share and I'm positioning them as having more evolved thinking. Mm -hmm. Because I wanna be aware of, am I putting the same students in the category of being an early draft and other students always in the category of being further along? Mm -hmm. Because everybody has early drafts and further along and, and am I pointing out some of the same students as being positioned as a higher status or not? And, are they students of color or white students or boys or girls or multilingual students? Like who's being positioned in what ways? And um, keeping track of that helps me strategically remember so I can another time position a student. I've, I've shared that their thinking was more like a draft. Make sure somebody else, like seeing them again in the future, like, oh my gosh, look at this evol evolution in their thinking and, and sharing that they're further along and, um, and making sure I hear from everyone, everyone's voice is mattering. And when students in, were face-to-face, -face, I have students go up to a document camera and bring up their work. And I sit down, I sit down in their chair, I sit down in their seat and I have my clipboard and I'm filling out the clipboard. So that way I'm not physically the tallest one. And so I think those, those things like keeping track of the participation and noticing my physical space. I, I don't think I was doing that before I wrote the book. Yeah. I mean, and that's such a great move. Cause yeah, like I always, you know, one of the things I would talk about in a face-to-face -face classroom is where's the front of the classroom. And I ask, mm -hmm. as I go to the back of the classroom and it, and it's like, you know, the, everyone starts to turn around, like, Oh, if it's wherever I am, then, then we don't have, a, a, you know, I, I haven't quite established a community where we're all, you know, uh, seen as, as equals in here, but that's, that's, uh, I love that from a, um, from a perspective of tracking your, how you're, what participation you're having from your students and just putting a little shout out to, uh, any doc student out there. Maybe that's a good way to overlap with the equip. Uh, um, yeah, it could be one of the categories in the equip yeah. app. Yeah. The so equip app from app, Ryan, yeah. um, Dan Reinholds and Neural Shaw and tracking how people participate and um, this you could add your own categories to this app and so that might be yeah. some categories to think about. Yeah. So I got this idea of thinking about who's being positioned and in what ways from talking with Imani Goffney at the University mm. of Maryland and um, making sure you're not always positioning um, black or brown students as being in early draft stage because all students have brilliance and we need to be aware of where our implicit biases are. And I don't know, my biases are implicit. So tracking them really helped me realize like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm always paying attention to this side of the room or yeah, yeah. something. You know? um, so it made a big difference to yeah. start to track it. Awesome. So what might be a major critique of the book, Mandy? So it's interesting, this book came out in April <laughs> and um, everybody moved to teaching online. And so yeah. the they had was how does this work in online settings? Mm -hmm. And I finished the book way before a pandemic was happening and um, how to translate this into online has been a good 
learning experience that um, I've been co-learning with folks all around the country over the years, um, over this past year, how to use a Google Doc or a Jamboard or Desmos to um, promote drafts and promote revision in the online space or make people's thinking visible even Mm -hmm. in the online space. And so, I mean, you can't predict something you didn't know about, but that would be definitely something to improve upon is to give that um, some more thought to that. Yeah, I know uh, Ava Thanheiser has been thinking about that a lot. I saw um, uh, Jen Wolf. I think I saw something online from her about doing something with the thing about rough draft thinking. So, you know, some good people out there thinking about those those sorts of questions and how to do it in his space. So, again, there you go. There's another uh, plug for uh, the second revision <laughs> going yeah. out there. And, <laughs> the and working edition. with people, how do you how do you um, work with a colleague to? bring them to think about learning and teaching in these ways. The book doesn't really get into that. And so that would be useful to learn more about myself. Yeah. All right. So this is, the, I think, uh, maybe the hardest thing is to, to sum up a great book in uh, seven words. So I don't, I don't know if you had any fun with this. I, I, I kind of played off something. I don't know if you want to go first with this. <laughs> you have an idea too. That's awesome. I love this question. So sum up the rough draft math book in seven words or less. So yeah, I, I wrote a few revisions of this. So I landed on draft thoughts are welcome, can be revised. Mm, I like it. There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> draft thoughts are welcome. Need to revise. Can be revised. Yes. I had sharing unfinished so like playing off of sharing is caring i was sharing unfinished ideas is caring for learning Ooh, yours is so good oh wow yeah because then you care about other people's learning too because you're willing to share your ideas in progress Mm -hmm. yeah i I, because i i think that's you know just to back up one other to the you know the high five for a second is it's not just for me, you know, it's, it, it is like we're caring about this community and, and to put this out there, that might be the spark that leads somebody else to have this major aha moment. And so, yeah, going back to this community, it's thing. And so that's, I kind of try and want to capture that where it's, it is about each other. And so like by putting some ideas out there that it's taking a risk, right? But if that participation leads to uh, participation within the community leads to others participating in the community, like, we're all better. We're getting better. We're better together. Right. Uh, talking with you about this and also talking to my friend, Jen Wolf at the university of Arizona, she's constantly helping me think about how we're smarter in community and how it's about a learning collective, not a mm-hmm. learning individual. And that's right. I also value that very much and I don't do enough, I think to make that explicit. So I like how your seven words really do that. Thank you. So, and, I can't, uh, I know we have a a little bit of a time constraint, so I don't want to waste this, but I I know that you are a very experienced teacher. You're very enthusiastic and you have lots of ideas. So I'm just curious, like what's the best thing maybe you're doing right now or you do to to help your teaching? So I think that as I've um, spent more time as a teacher, one way I've changed a lot is I spend way more time now than I did at the beginning of my career making my um, intentions and rationales more explicit. Mm -hmm. When I um, am launching an activity or when I'm talking with people about what I think we could do together, I share why I want them to do it or why I think it's going to benefit their learning. Like when I ask you to share your thinking and share your draft ideas in progress, this is important because it's a space where we can all learn from each other. Um, we, we all learn by talking and communicating. We crystallize our ideas by putting them into words or in another representation. I didn't used to spend time giving rationales. I didn't understand how important it was. I didn't, I didn't know how it helped people orient themselves more productively to learning. But um, so one of my doctoral students likes to laugh. She's like, Mandy's the only professor who gives rationales for why she gives rationales. (laughs) 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 But giving meaningful explanations about why we were doing what we're doing together helps people get more out of it and helps them um, think about, do my beliefs align with this or not? And what do I believe about why I'm doing what I'm doing? So I think that is one way that my teaching has changed a lot through my career. That's beautiful. 
That's perfect. Um, anything else that besides besides buying the book? Anything else to promote? We again, we'll put a, a link to the to the book in the uh, show notes. But anything else to promote? Thanks for asking. Yeah. Um, I have been writing from a grant that I have with Jim Middleton at Arizona State University. It's the SMILES Project, Secondary Mathematics in the Moment Longitudinal Engagement Study. And one of our publications came out this month um, in the NCTM Journal for Teachers, MTLT, Mathematics Teacher Learning and Teaching Pre-K to 12. So there's an article in the January journal called Discourse can create a learning culture. And the lead author is Kelly Curtis. Another article, uh, another author, her name is Katrina Lindo, and she um, was a ninth grade teacher at the time when we collected this data. And it's about Katrina's classroom. And it's about what Katrina um, did to facilitate discourse in her ninth grade classroom so students could see themselves as mathematicians, see themselves as sense makers in the learning community. And so it's a, it's a look into one ninth grade classroom. And I'm really proud of it because um, it highlights the learning that we were able to do in our grant from this specific teacher's classroom about how to engage students. Because, you know, creating a learning environment that shifts from performance to participation is so complex and you can take so many lenses on it. So this article is another take on that. So I hope people check it out. Nice. Excellent. And excited to, to check that out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mandy, for uh, spending time with us. Thank you. It's really lovely to have the opportunity. I appreciate it. Awesome. And, you know, hopefully we can do it again. Thanks, Joel. Yes. <laughs> Isn't she great? Like I said before, every time I interact with Mandy, I get better. And I hope you all feel the same. That is it for this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Show notes for the podcast can be found at amazonplanet.com forward slash episode 40. If you're looking for ways to support the podcast, you can take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. That's important. Subscribe to the Amazon Planet download containing teaching resources and updates from Amazon Planet. You can also uh, follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. You can like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. You can also check out the Amazon Planet store or Amazon Planet bookshop. Links are in the footer at amazonplanet.com. You can also find links there to the Amazon Planet download at amazonplanet.com. And anyway, if you purchase anything from the store or the bookshop, your purchases will help support the production costs of the podcast. So again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Thanks to Mandy for sharing her expertise and just for putting that book out into the world. Just, it takes some courage and just uh, so thankful for that. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. Uh, if you're looking for uh, more of his music, we talked about it on the last episode or the first episode of 2021, where we talked about his new single, Out of the Clouds. Check that one out um, and check out the story behind it in the uh, in the podcast episode, episode uh, 39. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you have been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.